Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for illustrator Jess Engel. How you overcome fear, I believe, is through experience. So it's just through doing something over and over again and proving more to yourself than to anyone else that actually you can do it. When you undercut yourself on price, the client actually treats you with less value. If you pick up the same bottle of wine and one of them's priced 100 bucks and the other one is 20, you're automatically gonna think the $100 one is better. It, it took me about six months to really like force myself to charge more and more and more and really sort of sit there and be like, no, but what are you worth? You know, you're not just giving them like a flat illustration, you're bringing your brain. So there is Jess. Can't wait for you to hear our chat. She's based over in the States and uh, has an interesting tale to share. I found her on YouTube, where, of course, I do my own vlog. Head over to YouTube, youtube.com slash Steve Folland. I'd love it if you hit subscribe on there. Leave comments on the videos. I love it when you do. And you can also find it at beingfreelance.com, where, of course, you can also sign up to the newsletter and find all of our previous episodes, nearly 90 guests to tuck into. And remember, it doesn't matter what they do. It's all about the being freelance. So if you're a photographer, but they're a graphic designer, doesn't matter if they're a translator, but you are a coder, doesn't matter. It's about the being freelance. And of course, if you know other freelancers, please do share it with them. Spread the word. Right, enough from me. Let's crack on and hear from Jess, who is over in Austin in Texas. Hey, Jess. Hey, Steve. What's going on? <laughs> um, really looking forward to this. How about we get started hearing about how you got started being freelance? Uh, that sounds good. I'm looking forward to this too, as this is my very first podcast interview ever. So I might suck. I'm just throwing that out there. Never. Um, <laughs> but no. So how did I get uh, freelance? Good question. I had a corporate job for about the first seven years of my career, which was right up until last year. I was working in New York City in the very exciting, fast-paced industry of advertising and uh, corporate marketing. And maybe three or four years into my career, like in my late 20s, I had a sort of quintessential quarter-life crisis. I was in Central Park in the middle of an African uh, bongo drumming circle, as you do on a Sunday. And I had this like realization and this like moment of dread that I had to go into work the next day on Monday. And it just kind of like killed my entire Sunday buzz. And you know, when you have those moments in life, like where you just remember them, you just feel like they actually kind of mean something, even you, you, though you have the same thought over and over. That was one of those seminal moments for me. So a couple of weeks later, I quit my first job with the acknowledgement that like this career isn't quite working for me, but I don't know what to do about it. And I went off to Ethiopia for a few months on a little bit of a soul adventure, came back and I just got another corporate job. Um, and I ran into the same wall and then I got another job and I ran into the same wall. So finally, third time's a charm. I quit my last corporate job and it stuck and I decided to take the leap into being freelance. 
Wow. So hang on. So <laughs> as you were having that feeling, had you figured out what it was that wasn't making you happy? that made you want to change? No, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. Um, I was not, I was in a semi-creative position, um, but I was not really exercising like much of my creative muscle. I had been an artist all the way up through high school. And then I just kind of spontaneously stopped doing art and basically said to myself, well, you know, you should get a practical degree and you should do something practical with a paycheck. Like you should separate your business from your passion. And that's exactly what I did. And I just kind of stopped doing art. And so I think like the whole time there was this gnawing feeling that something was not right, but I I completely had no idea what it was. So... So when you left that job, which was nothing to do with illustrating, working in advertising... Mm -hmm. Got another corporate job. Did you then start to like freelance on the side or anything? I'm just intrigued as to yeah. when ah, you did. No, 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 no. I was saying, yeah, you're intrigued, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued too. Um, I did not. I intended to, but living in a city like New York in um, your late 20s is just hard. You don't have any sort of financial cushion unless – Um, You're like a trust fund kid, which I am not. And um, it's just kind of hard not to take that steady paycheck because you have to pay your rent for the next month, you know? So it was one of those situations. And I told myself I would keep doing creative stuff, but I didn't. Um, I instead worked like 60 hours a week and, you know, had drinks in between, so. Okay, so job one finished, job two finishes, job three finishes, and then you said, and then I went freelance. So when you went freelance, was that as an illustrator or did you become a freelance, I don't know, ad agency, cop, whatever it was you did? So it's an interesting story. Um, essentially, job number three uh, was a corporate job in Ohio that was really well paid and did not require like too much extra hours. So while I was there, I took those two years and I actually said, I'm going to build um, a portfolio and a business plan and a financial cushion. So when I take this calculated leap to being freelance, um, I'm not just like leaping into the great unknown. Um, I have a couple things figured out. So it was a calculated leap that I took. And essentially, I am doing both and right now. So I started Basically, just by doing projects that came my way, you know, just people in my network that I know. So it'll be a mix of the advertising. So I do like brand consulting, essentially, and content creation um, for social media. And then I also do illustration projects for brands. All freelance. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that third job then, so now, now we get, we get into it was you, you moved away from New York as well. Uh huh. Like I saw job number three and leaving the city and being able to build up a bit of financial security and have some space, um, as a bridge, like just a way to get from this corporate world that initially I thought I was kind of stuck in to a more, uh, a lifestyle, you know, that I wanted to live pretty much. 
And when you said, um, I'm going to take two years, so two years in that job and sort of build up a freelance career on the side, yeah. was that literally as in you, th- you gave yourself a deadline that you were working towards? I did. It was not, I didn't accept the job thinking all of this. It was about six months in that it really crystallized for me. So it's just a neater story if I say it, if I say it like (laughs) I was thinking that. But um, it was about six months in that it crystallized. And essentially what I told myself is I am going to stick this out. It wasn't a bad job, by the way. I very much enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the people and I learned a lot and I apply those skills now, right? Like all of these are skills in my toolbox that I still use. Um, But I said, let me see how long I can stay here to where I feel like I have the right amount of momentum to start being freelance because I think that staying too long, like almost, uh, you just have a little bit too much time to like think and anticipate the jump, but staying too little, you're not quite ready. Do you know what I mean? So Mm. for me, it just ended up being two years was that right amount of time. So that's two years. So that's, uh, a year ago that you find that you quit that job. Right. And now you're in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it was a local network of freelance opportunities that you'd built up. No, no, no. Um, I am definitely still building my local network, but I went to college here in Austin, Texas. I went to university, as one would say in the UK, and I have a lot of family and friends here and I own a home here. So this is basically the place where I wanted to live. Ah. So a year ago, you you start doing this. And did you feel quite calm about it? How did it feel? No, I completely freaked out. <laughs> I, I, it was really, it caught me by surprise how much my identity had become entangled in my business card. I thought that since I had been anticipating this leap for two years and I had a pretty solid, well, I don't know know about solid, but I had a business plan and I had a solid financial cushion and I was so excited to take the leap that I would just embrace it and be like free and living exactly how I wanted to live and getting up when the sun was warm and whatever, drinking a lot of coffee. But in fact, I was completely freaking out just from like a, it was actually subconscious, honestly. I didn't realize that I had so much fear around not having the security that comes with with having a corporate job. So Mm. So how did you go about overcoming that? And was it in getting the jobs rolling in? So I'll answer two parts. How you overcome fear, I believe, is through experience. So it's just through doing something over and over again and proving more to yourself than to anyone else that actually you can do it, you know? Mm. So I overcame the fear by talking about it and doing it. For me, going out into social settings and even explaining to my family and friends like, yeah, I quit this pretty awesome career on paper to become quote unquote an artist, right? Because that's what 
that's what people think of of most designers and illustrators and anything. You're just kind of lumped into this like one general category of artist and then people's mind go to starving artist. So the reactions like from most of the people who I was speaking to outside of like the network of other freelancers who totally get it, their reactions were fearful themselves, you know, because they try to picture themselves doing that. And they're like, Oh, my gosh, this makes me so uncomfortable. So I think I was feeding off of their fear a little bit. And I just didn't have the confidence to say like, No, actually, it'll be okay. You know, like, these are the projects I have going and whatever. So it was just through time and experience that I replaced fear with confidence. And then to address the whole jobs rolling in thing. um, I think that for a lot of people that I know, and for me, like, you have this initial, like, excitement energy, like, when you first quit something and start something else, you tell everybody, so you get that first round of people who are like, oh, cool, that's awesome, oh, I need this thing, can you do this thing, whatever, and then you kind of tap out of that, and then you go into this period of, like, hmm, (laughs) how... How am I going to generate business now, like beyond the people who I already know? And that was a whole other problem that I had to start tackling. And frankly, I'm still tackling it right now. So how did you get those jobs beyond that? Because obviously a lot of it must be remote, I presume. Oh, some of it is remote and some of it is not. Really, honestly, like still trying to unlock the lead generation thing through a couple of different like subsectors of the industry. So one of the things that I'm very interested in in general is uh, picture book illustration. And so I actually found an agent or actually an agent found me right as I had quit because I'd submitted a pitch to her. And so I spend a lot of time developing projects in picture book pitches for that sector. I spend a lot of time networking, mostly in person, like through local organizations and at events. I try to do a mix of co-working at spaces, like when I'm not covered in paint and I need to do more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I need to do more businessy stuff. So co-working is great. Um, talking to people at bars is very good and having a business card on you at all times and just kind of like having that elevator pitch ready, you know, because there's, this is a kind of city where there are just so many people starting businesses and in need of various creative things. And also what I am starting to do right now is actually actively pitching agencies, local agencies that I don't know and saying like, hey, this is me. This is the package that I offer. Like, keep me on file, you know, or do you need anything right now? And when you're doing that, because you mentioned the fact that you do like the illustration, the art side of it, but that you also have the other skills that you pull upon. Yeah. The content, you know, the advertising history, which is all within you. Which which is it that you're pitching? Yeah, that's a good question. And again, still something I'm trying to figure out. But what I have been really, really cognizant in in this past year as I really like develop this business of being freelance is I want to design a body of work and pitch what I want to be doing right? And what I want to be doing is illustration. 
So I think having the illustration backed up by a solid foundation in brand strategy and just client know-how is good. But I always lead with illustration because I think that coming with the one-two punch is a bit confusing. Mm, yeah. When it came to all of that, like, how did you how did you cope with figuring out pricing and things like that? Oh my gosh, badly to be honest. <laughs> uh, like I it's so interesting right because if I'm doing a, a brand consulting gig like my price is pretty high you know uh because I've been doing it for a long time and I know exactly how to scope it and I know I you never know exactly how long something's gonna take but you have the confidence just through doing it so much to know generally how much energy each phase takes, right? So the interesting thing about starting a skill set from scratch and going into an industry that you don't know that much about is you don't really have the knowledge of um, how long things are going to take you. And some things take longer than they should because you're still sort of developing your own process around how to do it. But then you also don't really know... um, through experience, like how big client budgets are and what's too much and what's too little. So I lean on things like Google and things like, you know, the Society of Graphic Designers Guild or whatever has like an ethical pricing guide that I lean on. But I still had a tendency to undercut myself initially, which I knew that I was doing. And um, the interesting thing about that is that I've noticed when you undercut yourself on price, the client actually treats you with less value. So they value the work less when it's priced less. And it works the same in, in, in like, you know, the capital, the consumer society as well. Like if you pick up the same bottle of wine, right? And one of them's priced a hundred bucks and the other one is 20, you're automatically going to think the hundred dollar one is better. And this is proven. So it took me about six months to really force myself to charge more and more and more and really sort of sit there and be like, no, but what, what are you worth? You know, you're not just giving them like a flat illustration. You're bringing a whole, um, you're bringing your brain, you know, like there's a whole startup phase that people don't even take into consideration. And so there's, there's been a learning curve, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you're starting to learn it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier, like your job giving you skills in your toolbox that you still use now. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say those are? Are they like business skills? Oh, yeah, totally. Like... I used to be the client hiring the agency that hires the illustrator. And before that, I was the art director at the agency hiring the illustrator. So I just, um, it's communication skills, which is really, really important. Like communicating and packaging your work in a professional way can get you so far you know, before you even close the deal, it says so much about you. It's like going into an interview with like an incredibly tailored suit versus like a pair of torn jeans. Um, so there's the, there's that, there's the knowledge of how it works like 
from people who are hiring you. And then there's also just, yeah, like the business knowledge, the marketing knowledge and the branding knowledge and being able to actually make brand strategic based recommendations for projects. Like uh, one of my recent projects, you know, I was able to sort of say like, well, hey, and by the way, I get a lot of different projects. So some people are from large corporations who have like a brand style guide that they'll give me. And they're like, we've done this a billion times. Like we're good. You know, they don't really need that kind of recommendation, but some clients have never hired or worked with an illustrator before and are in various stages of building their brand. So if I'm able to help them and help them understand along the way the value of good creative and how this can really help build the brand and almost make strategic recommendations, then there's so much of a better chance of me being hired again or me being hired for something else. Like I've definitely crossed the streams by saying like, oh, hey, you know, you can use this on Instagram too. And let's look at your Instagram and have you ever thought about doing this? And I can do this for you and whatever. So... Mm, yes, seeing, <laughs> sensing the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting to hear you say about the communication, having been there on the other side of the desk, as it were. For, from your experience, when you were on that side of a desk, does that mm-hmm. desire and need for communication continue when the project is in progress? Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone has a little bit of a different communication style. So there's definitely such a thing as over overly communicating, but I believe in proactive communication. And I think that as long as you're not like blowing someone up with unnecessary emails, just taking a proactive lead in giving any sort of like key milestones, updates, and understanding that a client is very busy. Like you're going to be one of hundred things that they're managing and you're not always necessarily the priority, right? So that's why everything is at the last minute. It's just because like, pardon my French, it's a shit show over there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's not like they want to wait and be scrambling at the last minute. It's because they actually have all of these layers on top of them, right? Like they have to sell this creative work into someone else who then has to sell it into the client if there's on um, an agency side. So often there are going to be about three layers on top of you. And that's usually what the holdup is, right? So if you can be understanding and, and help in any way and anticipate a client's needs before they ask you for something, that's so welcome. Mm, that's great. You mentioned that you had skills in marketing yourself as well. So how would, how would you say you market yourself? <laughs> well, Steve, I, I suppose that you know about my YouTube channel. Oh my God, um, do you have... <laughs> okay, so clearly this is this is how I, I came across you. And I felt I've no idea how, whether I searched or whatever, but via the magic of algorithms, there you were. Uh-huh. And yeah. I mean, it just goes to show it works though, because before I n- knew it from your videos... I knew exactly what your your work looked like. I had a feel of your process and I had a feel of your personality. Right. We hadn't emailed or spoken or, or anything, but that comes from watching a video. That's huge. Yeah. I I honestly am obsessed with video making at the moment. So 
basically, I have been making content since the dawn of time. Um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, since like 2009, um, which is just a really long time. And I had never dabbled in long form content. So it was always like tweets, photos. Um, and I felt that those things were great and valuable, but I, I thought that they had more shallow engagement metrics. Like I had been kind of building an, a little bit of an audience on Instagram just by sharing like some of my little funny, quirky drawings every now and then. And a couple of times, you know, I would see if these people would like quote unquote cross the streams, if you will, and and see if they would join me on another platform or see if they would do something if I asked them to. And I noticed that of there was just a very low rate of conversion in that way on Instagram. Um, and the same thing with Twitter. So before I made the leap, I had started watching a couple of what they call illustubers. So they're like illustrators on YouTube. Um, who were talking about just like day-to-day -day life of being an illustrator. So for the first time, I could actually see how they ran a business, what kind of projects they were working on, and just generally like what their day looks like. And this was the first time that I could really visualize like what my day could look like. And it really helped me so much just in gaining the courage and confidence to take the leap. So one of the struggles right off the bat, like with being freelance um, and being an illustrator was that I just didn't have anyone to talk to and like bounce ideas off of and almost keep me honest as I was going about my day-to-day -day work. I was used to working in an office with a creative team. So, you know, there, there were so many people around and that was really valuable and I missed it. So I decided to, yeah, take to the YouTubes and essentially teach myself this video making and editing skill set so I could share my art, but also so I could just start talking about like what I was thinking about and like what I was learning as I was building a business in real time. So that's behind the YouTube channel. And honestly, I was, I had no idea how it would do. I knew nothing about like how YouTube worked in its algorithm and the community. So I kind of, I started in September and I was like, well, if I get a hundred subscribers by Christmas, like maybe I'll continue, you know, like that'll be fine. Um, but the first vlog, quote unquote vlog that I did where I was kind of like, hey, I, I quit my corporate job and like now I'm hashtag following my dream. Um, <laughs> that seemed to resonate with the kids and um, it got, you know, a good, a decent amount of views, you know, not like a lot by any means. But um, I had, I just started seeing like steady growth rate and positive comments. And um, it's been really great. Like, I would say from a marketing perspective, I haven't yet found a client through YouTube. However, it's given me a bank of rich content that I send to clients in my pitches on a regular basis. Like I'll pull from that YouTube a lot and just say, if you want to know more about me or if you want to see my process in painting, watch this. And I've gotten good feedback on that. And then also it's just like kind of extended my own creative community, you know, like right now I'm talking to you on this podcast, which wouldn't have happened uh, mm -hmm. if it hadn't been for YouTube. So 
it's been good. So you didn't put any tactics into play, for example, to to grow your your audience. No, um, no, no tactics except that I really, I, I genuinely believe that content is king. So, I, like, what I would say in terms of um, being successful on YouTube is you need to know your niche. So. If your niche is small but engaged and interested, that's good. If you're going to do something like um, I want to do a beauty channel, like good luck to you because there are 100,000 people already doing that. So the algorithm is not going to play in your favor. If you want to be more specific, like I want to do a cruelty-free beauty channel targeted at vegans who are like all over the YouTubes, that might play a little bit more in your favor. So I knew that for illustrators specifically, there were loads of artists sharing like speed paintings and, you know, watch me paint and and tutorials and stuff. But there weren't very many people sharing the business side of it. And so that is what I decided to go for. What I do is try to capture a genuine blend of my creative process and the business lessons I'm learning and what I'm thinking about Mm. along the way on a weekly basis. You know, like I I try to be open about how I find some of my clients. I try to be open about like some of the the challenges that I find like as I build this this freelance business for myself. Um, And I try to be really open about also my creative process um, so people can learn from it, you know? Yeah. Then mixed into that, you do things like how-to videos as well. Do I do how-to videos? I have definitely watched a how-to-do-a-penguin video. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting because basically what I do is whenever I'm doing a large painting, I consider that to be a piece of content as well, right? So anything that I'm doing either commissioned or personally or for a picture book, I, I just film it. And then I cut it into what I would consider like a promotional video, right? And yeah, so the, the how to do a penguin is basically just like me painting a bunch of penguins that I had to paint anyway yeah. and uh, and talking about it and like extending its reach. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a really important lesson in there. Sometimes it can feel like... Uh, as freelancers, but we feel like, oh, yeah, I should blog about this or make a video about that or whatever. Um, But how am I ever going to find time to do that? Because I've got all this client work to do. And and yet there you are. You're saying, well, actually, I'm documenting what I'm doing and explaining my process. And that creates the content. So I'm doing both. Exactly. It's yeah. And so, and you do have to be careful, obviously, because some clients you can't share. Mm. Um, but I've found that once a project goes live, a lot of clients are kind of impressed that you've made a video about it. Yeah, yeah. I will put a link, by the way, beingfreelance.com. So you can check out obviously the YouTube channel in general, but the penguins in particular. The penguins. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now I've mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the business, and it's it it's clear right from the beginning of our chat that you, yes, you love your art, but you mm-hmm. had to make it a business. Yes. In fact, you even mentioned business plan, which is something that now I think about it, not many people on this podcast have ever mentioned. 
Oh. Yeah, no, seriously. And (laughs) I mean, maybe that comes from your corporate background or something you did at college or something. Uh, Or maybe I've just never asked the question and so nobody's ever brought it up. But when you think... Not not college, can I just say. I never heard the freaking word business planning in college. And you know what? Art schools out there, if you're listening, make them write a business plan, please. So, yeah. A lot of my viewers are in university, and um, that's one of the number one comments I get. They ask me business questions, and they're like, because we don't get this in school at all. So, And I didn't get it. I went to school, you know, whatever – a while ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the math, but it started in 2001. Um, and I, I kind of figured that that would have gotten better by now, but apparently it hasn't. So different topic, but important. As you document it then, do you think that that is making you reflect on what you're learning? Oh, a hundred percent. Like this is equally like selfish and selfless in the same breath. A hundred percent. Like when I set myself a deadline of making a a 2017 business planning video, it basically means that I have to make the plan and I have to think through it clearly and cohesively to actually talk about it. So. Yeah, I find that doing my videos that it's, I probably wouldn't be thinking these thoughts if I didn't have to sit there and say them to the camera or, you know, or rather. Totally. I, I wouldn't be computing them. In the same way, they would just probably wash out as I get on with the next bit of work. But I'm having to sit there and say it. It's really, really interesting. Like your thought process completely changes on a day where you're like, you know what, I'm going to vlog. And then all of a sudden you're sort of writing a script and a narrative about your day as it's happening. And and then you remember it in a different way, too. So Hmm. it's interesting. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. So what have you got for me? Okay, number one. This one time, Kermit the Frog called me weird during a press junket at a Muppet premiere movie. (laughs) And this other time, Bill Clinton complimented my taste in chokers back in the day in the 90s. (laughs) Okay. And finally, another time... Nelson Mandela asked me. <laughs> okay, go on. Um, asked me to pass the salt during a lunch at his and Winnie's Joburg home. What? <laughs> so that's what I got for you. <laughs> I can't believe that only one of these is a lie. <laughs> Kermit the Frog called you weird. Bill Clinton said, hey, nice choker. And Uh Nelson Mandela said, pass the salt. That's right. Bill Clinton? What? Why? Uh. Was that when he was president? Yeah, it was when he was president. He was visiting Johannesburg. um, And my dad was his, like, caretaker. My dad was a diplomat. And I was living there. And that's also why um, Nelson Mandela asked, pass the salt, by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he was <sighs> passing through and complimented my choker. So your dad was a diplomat. You're living in Johannesburg. Yeah. And you meet both Phil Clinton and Nelson Mandela. And one says right. nice choker and one says pass the salt. Okay, I am tempted simply because they have both turned up to think that one of them isn't true, but that Kermit is. 
But it suggests that you were close enough to Nelson Mandela that he thought you were the best person to ask to pass the sort. So were you sitting that close to Nelson Mandela at dinner? Because Bill Clinton could have... Okay. Nelson Mandela is the lie. You're right. (laughs) No, I didn't get to go to lunch with him because I was too old. Oh, seriously? Yeah. (laughs) But my brother got to meet him and have lunch with him. And I didn't because I was like a year too old. They like invited all these like younger kids. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. But Bill Clinton really did say nice joker. So there you go. It was it was slightly creepy. <laughs> it even sounded creepy, which yeah. is kind of why I believed it. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, you make your own reputation, right? Well, very, very good sleuth work. I'm very impressed. Um, that, that that I'm so impressed, but it's almost true, though. That's uh, that's remarkable, almost really. Um, okay, now if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Okay, well, I have two things. And one of them is a, a more of a pillar of wisdom, um, which is just like enjoy the process. No one thing in life is really that serious and that important, you know. So it's just kind of like it's just all about enjoying your day, day in and day out, and not freaking out over the little stuff. Um, and then the other thing is ask for more money. <laughs> <laughs> They'll, they'll usually give it to you. So, Excellent. Yeah. Jess, it's been such a delight talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for your time. You've got sure. to go to beingfreelance.com. Follow the links through uh, so that you can get to uh, Studio Jess, as the name is, of the YouTube channel. And then also, of course, you'll find links to Jess on Instagram and Twitter and her website and all of that as well. So you can enjoy her, her, her videos as much as I've been doing as well. Of course, while you're there, you can check out mine. Uh, your buggers go on go have a look at those as well um so they're at beingfreelance.com but yeah do you know one thing i did want to ask about youtube because so many people have been on here and said you know about the isolation of being a freelancer and that they get something out of being on twitter and stuff like that um yeah have you found that with youtube oh yeah completely 100 percent. like i love being on there. My community is really great. I now email some of the people directly and we kind of like vent about various freelance things. We ask each other questions and I'm even collabing with some of them now. So it's been really good from the loneliness perspective. Cool. So you've not found that so much of an issue? No, it's an issue completely. (laughs) I'm like talking to myself (laughs) And my penguins all day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking to a camera, goddammit. Clearly, (laughs) clearly there's a... But does it bother you? Are you missing that environment of the office and the people and everything that goes with it and the beers after work that you mentioned and stuff? Well, yes. uh, Yes and no. Uh, I definitely miss the beers, for sure. Um, (laughs) But I do not miss having to go in at a a certain time every day, be sitting at a desk and have a slew of meetings. I I definitely don't miss the structure of an office job. Um, 
basically like what I've found is there are other social outlets and I'm just kind of trying to find them, you know, like I'll go to co-working spaces, I'll work where people, where the people are and I'll have beers with my friends. I loved what you said when we were setting up this uh, chat about the fact that it felt, I think you said it, it was like you built your freelance career, as it were, around cutting out, cutting out what you didn't want. You could, yep. you, you put it far better than I just massacred what you said. <laughs> you said. No, that, that sounded good to me, but it might be because you have a British accent. <laughs> I mean, it's really been like, like essentially a process of, trying on a lot of different things, you know, because you don't want to say no to opportunities. So you try it, but then having the conviction to say, you know what, that's not what I want to do. And by the process of elimination, you eventually find what, what suits you. Like I said, check out beingfreelance.com and you will find everything that Jess is up to there. And of course, loads of other guests. Hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever it might be and go hit subscribe on YouTube to uh, both Studio Jess and to me as well. And Jess, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Steve, thank you too. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget, you can get the live episode. Go check it out, beingfreelance.com. It's only on the website. Live at New Media Europe. Yeah. With a beautiful room full of people, many of them freelancers, and not just one guest that I'm talking to this week, but four guests. The important thing is that it's not about networking so much as just building goddamn genuine relationships with people mm. yes. and just really getting to know people on a personal one-to-one level. At a wedding, sitting next to somebody and going, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a voiceover artist. Oh, I employ voiceover artists for ITV. Brilliant, you're my new best friend. <laughs> so it's been about five years and for the first three years, it was the Phil show. I did everything. My first kind of hire, my first decision to, to use contractors and letting go that I can't do everything myself and and delegating and and starting to scale. So I've scaled more probably in the last four months than I have in the last five years. The live episode of Being Freelance, get that for free at beingfreelance.com. In the meantime, though, have a great week, won't you? Being Freelance.